This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Welcome back to the Dead TV Podcast with our rounding out our coverage of the Adams Family here on the Radio Horror Network. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight we are going to cover two more episodes. So we have five episodes left. We're also going to talk about the Adams Family movie at the end of the uh at the end of our review of these two episodes. And to start off, Mr. Seneca has the episode synopsis for us for the first All one. Right. All right. Uh, episode is named Cat Adams. Originally aired March 11, 1966. Kitty Cat, normally a good eater, has no appetite, leaving the family to speculate over what could be wrong. Finally, they call in Dr. Gunderson, a veterinarian who is woefully uninformed that Kitty Cat is a full-grown lion. Morticia believes that the doctor's skittishness around Kitty is entirely due to a lack of self-confidence. She therefore makes it her mission to have the others in her family feign ailments so the doctor can have a series of examinations followed by an ego-boosting miraculous recoveries, but the poor guy just wants out. <laughs> I really like this episode. So we have um, the Adams Family Goes to Go Safari was another title I was hoping for the episode um, <laughs> because it focused a little bit more on that for a little while than the actual lion well yeah because uh they believe that the first part of why kitty cat isn't eating is perhaps kitty cat needs a mate and so they would go on safari to find one this episode also had like uh on the dvd like a tombstone pop-up video trivia thing oh really hadn't i didn't check that one out oh yeah they point out certain things like ungawa. Ungawa is a made-up Hollywood word. Doesn't really mean anything. Mm, just sounds offensive, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they point out that the um, the doctor who comes to investigate Kitty is actually also Hanna Barbera's Pac-Man voice actor. Nice. So Pac-Man in the 1980s, there was uh, Pac-Man fever was happening, and Hanna Barbera made a Pac-Man cartoon. Um, Pac-Man had a family. And this guy, the doctor, was the voice of Pac-Man. Cool. In this episode, we also get a lot of new footage of the lion. Yeah, Uh, it's not just recycled. 
Yeah, previous stuff has been recycled, but this is actually new footage. Um, they cut together one scene where Kitty Cat is growling in a cave. You can clearly see that film was kind of cut and slot into the into place there. Marty Ingalls, that's the name I was trying to pull out of a hat. Uh, played oh, Doctor Gunderson. Apparently, oh, yeah. apparently, um, uh, the other doctor, um, Kitty's dad, ate his dad. There was two doctors, right? Yes, there's Doctor Mabogo. Yeah, that's the doctor that we don't get to see because Kitty's dad ate his dad. Correct. Um, they tried that route first, and that didn't work. The actor um, who we do have in the episode uh, went on to do a bunch of voiceover work. He was also on Darkwing Duck. He was the voice of the devil. Really? Yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't know Darkwing Duck fought the devil, but that's interesting. And Very. he was in um, an episode of Aquaman, which was interesting. The cartoon series. <laughs> um, not the movie. Um, and uh, he was... Um, uh, oh, where did it? it just escaped me? Um, he was also on the show I'm Dickens, He's Fenster, which starred John Aston. Right, that's what it was. That's what it was. Uh, that was also in the pop-up little segment. Nice. Yeah. So Dr. Gunderson's basically like this episode's Dr. Doolittle, um, which is funny considering we have uh, a new Doolittle movie coming out starring Robert Downey Jr., Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, that's the trailer's online now. You, it's just called Doolittle. It's not called Doctor Doolittle. So maybe he's not a doctor yet. I haven't watched. I, I've only seen a couple clips of the trailer. So okay. But that I mean, the last time we had Doctor Doolittle was like we had two Eddie Murphy movies and then a third movie that was that with no Eddie Murphy that he produced, but it was like his daughter because his daughter also had the Doolittle magic. Oh, yes. I do remember those. Right. So now we have Robert Downey Jr. playing Doolittle, which is interesting. Hmm. I don't know exactly what to say about that. Yeah. What? You don't think Robert Downey Jr. I, could be it? Could do it? I guess he could. I mean, he's acted a, a lot of different roles. This would be a cakewalk, really. I just don't know why we need a fifth Dr. Doolittle movie. I, I don't understand, but... Because literally the other three were called one, two, and three, and then we had the original back in the '60s, which was I think Jerry Lewis, right? I don't know. Yeah, I swear, wasn't this part of like um, Eddie Murphy playing like the second time he would play a Jerry Lewis character? Because it was Doctor Doolittle, there was the Nutty Professor, Robin Williams also played a Jerry Lewis character, obviously in Flubber. I don't have that fact on my hand. Okay, not a big deal. But um, the lion tamer equipment um, they use in the episode for Kitty is off camera, and Kitty is like stock footage in a cave. Yes, yes. That that scene that is obviously cut out and put in frame there. Right. I didn't like that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it, that. But that was at the time. That was what you did. That they didn't have any other technology to integrate Kitty into the scene. Unlike in the new Adams Family animated movie, Kitty's like a big part of it. Yes. I don't remember if Kitty was in the movies from the '90s with Christina Ricci. Was 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 he? I do not believe so. If there was, there would be like a throwaway line, but I really don't think so. Christina Ricci is going to be at the Rhode Island Comic Con coming up. 
You mentioned that before. Yeah, she actually uh, went and got custom fangs done with a friend of mine who's done my who did my vampire fangs. I was so jealous or whatever that uh, she stopped by to get custom fangs done. And he's like, uh, he, he's not a super big guy, but he's bigger than taller than me and bigger than me. And she was this just tiny little thing in the picture with him. Was that horror show, Jack? Yeah. Ah, uh, his fangs are great. Yeah, but yeah, and she looks great with a mouthful of razor sharp teeth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, yeah, she is a tiny, tiny little person. <laughs> I mean, I've seen her in interviews, like, on Tonight Show, you know, late night shows, and her feet don't even touch the floor. Oh, wow. Yeah. small. Yeah, she is very small. And then sometimes in movies or whatever, they make her look a little bit taller than she's supposed to be, but sometimes in movies like Black Snake Moan, they play up that that's how tiny she is. Mm-hmm. The doctor is actually from... A A A A A animal doctors, so they're like six A's, and uh, that is so to guarantee that he would be the first person listed on the veterinarian section of the yellow pages. Right. That was kind of a tactic to do, and it's kind of why you see all these like triple A um, plumbers or whatever. I just thought that was kind of interesting that they took that to a extreme on that I did like in this episode when he treated Cousin It so Cousin It was basically laying in the bed and uh, uh, the doctor says he doesn't have a license to treat humans and they're like oh that does that that won't matter it's, it's our Cousin It so uh, Cousin It actually eats the thermometer and which is a, something that uh, Fester did in, in a previous episode as well and then they take him to uh actually treat Cleopatra, uh, the African strangler, and she's like, oh, you have a wonderful plant-side manner, and, you know, the plant only needed watering, that's it. Hmm. Oh, by the way, I also forgot to mention, Matt Ryan will be at the run on Comic-Con. Ah! Then you must give him our card again. I need copies of our card. I can get you copies of our card. Yeah, mail me copies of our card as soon as ASAP. How much was his oh. autograph? Autograph with selfie, I think, was 80 Whoa. I know. That is a lot more than I'm willing to spend on one single person. That is yeah. crazy. But it was Matt Ryan. Right. That's it. $80, though. I know. That is way too much. Well, now I have an autograph photo, and I have a picture of me with him, and Chevy then Chase. I was able to get our card in front of his face. Chevy Chase at the Rhode Island Comic Con for an autograph is $125. Wow. Uh, Richie is $60 for an autograph. Wow. Yeah. I mean, some of these people, I mean, just like what they're charging is just ridiculous. Yeah. I, it might be part way to deter um, sales. Scalpers. So that, you know, some, yeah, scalping and sales. I mean, um, I, I got Robert England only like four years ago, and he was $25. He is $100 now. Yeah. At that price, you can't turn around that and make a profit. <laughs> Con, we, you know, we did have Wednesday back at the Terracon years ago, which is a – the reason I mention this, bring this up, is because at Terracon in 2014, they had Pugsley and Wednesday there. Sorry, 2014. Yeah, 2014, they had Pugsley and Wednesday there. And I met Wednesday, but I didn't get a chance to meet Pugsley. Oh, and, and then he passed. And then he passed that year in December, yeah. 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 That December he passed away. He was 50-something years old. She uh, oh. she was only um, 
Maybe he was a couple years older than her. I'm not really sure. I believe that to be the case. Yeah. So, so the doctor is just treating everybody, and he just like wants to get out of there. And it just again, this is the part of the writing of the Adams family I never like or whatever is they just don't take the hint that this is not something he wants to do, and they keep forcing all these family members on him, and he wants to leave. It makes them very obnoxious and just not likable whatsoever. I agree. They do push a lot. You know, they do steamroll people into something. They they you know, they they push their perspective on a situation with whatever they think the other person's emotion is without confirming what that emotion is and they kind of just go from there. It can be annoying. I, I see what you're saying, but I think also that's part of where the humor comes from. Mhm. You know, the 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 misunderstanding of a simple thing from one perspective to the other and the Adamses are so helpful that they're hindering true so the doctor you know works on Fester and Fester uh, just is hamming it up just hamming it up doesn't know when to quit and so the, uh, Gomez and Morticia you know try to say sly things and and uh, get Fester to really change his mind. At the suggestion that the doctor had actually healed Fester, he just wants out, just completely out. And the straw that broke the camel's back is the sight of Thing. And he just bolts uh, to Africa, <laughs> what they assume to practice under Dr. Mabogo. At the final, the final summation is Kitty Cat was not in need of a mate. He was not sick. He was not any of that. He had already been fed. And they did not wait 24 hours or whatnot to see if Kitty would eat again. They just kind of assumed. So Kitty was already fed, and then they tried to feed him more. And at the very end of the episode, uh, Kitty did eat more of that food, so now he's got a stomachache and needs a vet again. All's well that ends well, I guess. Uh, we're going to take a uh, microscopic break, and we'll come back with the next episode of the Adams Family coverage here on the Dead TV Podcast. If you rebuild it, they will come. They burned it down. If you rebuild it, they will come. You didn't hear? Thank you, pardon. Good boy. Pete. If you rebuild it, they will come. They blew it up. If you rebuild it, they demolished it. If you rebuild it, build it, they will come. But horror has a permanent address. Welcome to my home. The house of Frankenstein lives. You see, uh, we began a project a few years ago, but unfortunately it was it was interrupted. And we're most anxious to take it up again. In September and October, the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents a Supermates tradition, covering four classic horror films and four related comic book adventures. I must find more victims before my work is done. You need look no further, vampires. We'll take the bat jet to the Hall of Justice and transform the other super friends. <laughs> Featuring an all-star cast. James Spader. Are you crazy? Jack Nicholson. Oh, just marking my territory. Anthony Hopkins. She lives beyond the grace of God, a wanderer in the outer darkness. Lon Chaney Jr. One becomes accustomed to the darkness here. Michelle Pfeiffer. You're afraid that when it gets dark, you'll attack me. 
Vincent Price. Let's uh, see what the rest of this mausoleum looks like. Gary Oldman. It's really of your own will and belief. Some of the happiness you bring. Winona Ryder. I almost feel pity for anything so hunted as this count. Peter Cushing. I am a doctor of medicine, law, and physics. To the best of my knowledge, doctorates are not awarded for witchcraft. But if ever they are, no doubt I shall qualify for one. And Keanu Reeves. Doctor! This Halloween, visit our field of screens at the scenic house of Frankenstein, where terror is only a listen away. And we're back with the Dead TV Podcast with uh, Lurch's assistant. Lurch's Little Helper originally aired March 18th, 1966. Morticia believes they're overworking Lurch, so Gomez builds a robot named Smiley to help him out. Lurch is initially disturbed by the new situation, but grows to accept it before taking complete advantage of it, regulating all of his duties to Smiley. Though the family isn't pleased with Smiley's capabilities, they praise them for Lurch's sake, but perhaps overmuch. It effectively has Lurch looking at Smiley not as helping him out, but as helping him right out of a job. Today, man prepares to take his first step forward into space. Tomorrow, he will explore the stars. MGM's great technological staff brings you a magnificent picture of that distant tomorrow. Forbidden Planet. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Sir, we're being radar scanned. United Planets Cruiser C-57D, J.J. Adams commanding. Who are you? Morbius of the Bellerophon. Dr. Morbius, my orders are to survey the situation on Altair IV. Commander, if you step down on this planet, I warn you that I cannot be answerable for the safety of your ship or your crew. When you reach the Forbidden Planet, you will meet Dr. Morbius, played by Walter Pigeon. The doctor is sole owner of this fabulous world. Anne Francis is his alluring daughter, Alta, who has never seen a young man till she meets Commander Adams, played by talented Leslie Nielsen. Not in. Didn't bring my bathing suit. What's a bathing suit? Oh, murder. You will meet a charming character in The Robot, able to produce, on order, ten tons of lead or a slinky evening gown. Always at your service. It must be the loveliest, softest thing you've ever made for me. And fit in all the right places. With lots and lots of star sapphires. Star sapphires take a week to crystallize properly. Would diamonds or emeralds do? You explore all the wonders of a vanished civilization. All right, this trailer is about four minutes long, which is a little bit unbelievable. But trailers were really long back then. So Robbie the Robot makes makes a guest appearance on the Addams Family as Smiley. And he is from the 1956 uh, science fiction movie called Forbidden Planet, and he was the uh, in, he was the creation of Japanese American engineer Robert Kinoshita, who recently passed away, actually. Um, oh. And he was um, he was uh, built by the MGM prop department, and reportedly cost 125 thousand dollars to be built. Wow. 
Robbie has also appeared in episodes from Man from Uncle, My Little Margie, and The Thin Man, and, as well as from The Adams Family. And he made a great appearance in the Joe Dante Looney Tunes movie, Looney Tunes Back in Action, with several other um, science fiction characters. Yeah, this is a very recognizable robot. Yeah, he has been in several uh, different productions, but uh, his history goes all the way back to 1955. How did he get into the Adams Family episode? There's not a lot of information about that online. Do they just need no. it? MGM produced this show, so they just they had access to the robots, so they stuck them in there. That's pretty much what I believe. I, I would say that's probably pretty correct because this is a very um, specialized prop, and since it costs so much, they'd want to use it for as many productions as they could get away with. So, yeah, they would probably share it amongst studios as well. Seems that way. But in the Adams Family episode, Gomez and Pugsley actually uh, build the robot. So Pugsley does the brain, and uh, the rest is done by uh, Gomez. And I think Fester helps out a little bit. It's rather unusual to see, but it was uh, fun nonetheless. Oh, them building the robot? Well, the robot being in the episode and uh, him stepping on Lurch's... uh you know, thunder every five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although, Lurch does like his new title of Head Butler. And that is one of the things that goes to his head, I suppose. I guess he does, but uh, he doesn't seem to be useful for the Adams family with Robbie around. They keep wanting him to go lie... They keep wanting him to go lie down. Yeah, you know, for some reason they think he's overworked and... I don't know if underpaid goes along with that, but he does need his his time off. So they keep forcing him to just spend time up in his room. Yeah, weird. That's, I don't know, that, that bit of the writing of the episode I was not a fan of. Yeah, there wasn't a, a moment in the scene where Lurch was definitely tired and you could sympathize with him that he definitely needed a rest. This was just almost like they just thought he was tired and but he really wasn't tired it would have been uh funny if uh lurch had uh like blown up the robot destroyed it himself or something <laughs> they they just implied that at the end of the episode <laughs> yeah we get the implication but i would like to have seen it ah uh, yeah but you know it, it would have probably cost a lot more to make a fake robbie robot and you know bring the pieces and scatter them on the floor. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, Smiley the robot is actually pretty good at what he does, but he's not as good as Lurch. But they don't really tell Lurch that he's not that good, or, what, or that Smiley is not that good at the job. They just say that he's doing well and to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, uh, okay, that's that's weird. Again, the highlight of the episode is, is Robbie the Robot guest starring. Otherwise, this episode is kind of mediocre. Mm, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's that uh, they just keep wanting Lurch to rest, and he has this battle between jealousy, um, admiration, and then just using the robot for everything, you know, and so that he can lay back on the job. Um. Was uh what, what, what was uh, Lost in Space on at the time? Lost in Space. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't have it on hand. 
It's one of those fantasy sci-fi shows that was really big at the time. By the way, Forbidden Planet was the debut of uh, like or like the big a big movie for actor Leslie Nielsen, who played Commander Adams. What's funny is that there's an actor in the episode, uh, sorry, in the movie called um, the name uh, the there's a, there's a damn it. There's an actor in the movie called Winter, Walter Pigeon. He played Doctor Morbius, which is funny because there would be a vampire character later on called Doctor Michael Morbius in Spider-Man lore. Oh wow! From from Forbidden Planet, I almost had one of the actors on my show. I lost his business card. I never followed up on it. His name was Richard Anderson. He'd been at a couple conventions that I had been to. Okay, so yes, Lost in Space was uh, during this time. That is a series from 1965 to 1968. Also on uh, at the time was like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Um, so this is definitely within this whole kooky TV of the 1960s, the mid-1960s to um, 1964 to basically 1970 is when kooky TV had an upswing. Kooky TV had an upswing, yeah, because Batman was on at the time, and that was really weird as well. In Gilligan's Island, Bewitched, um, The Monsters, of course, Beverly Hillbillies, Johnny Quest. It was, it was kooky. I Dream a Genie. It was kooky. That's all the notes I have for this episode. Uh, Yeah, I mean, other than, like, Lurch having that huge wrench in his hand when he says that Smiley resigned, which is a good one. Uh, There is uh, one uh, bit from the episode. I thought that was a really good line. So Lurch is relaxing, not answering his bell, and Fester says, uh, want me to go up to his room and see if he's dead or something? (laughs) And that. Morticia says, if he's resting, we shouldn't disturb him. And if he's dead, there's no point to it. That, I thought that I, was, that's a great one. Yeah, I like that one a lot, too. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all the notes I have. Well, uh, so, um, so, uh, the Adams Family movie that, uh, was it, is in theaters. We saw it. In, in theaters now, yes. Uh, the Adams Family new animated film. Where do you want to begin here? <laughs> I mean, it gives us all of the origin story stuff to the Adams Family, so I'm going to get that right off the bat right now, whatever. Basically, the Adams Family has never been explained in any of the medias that I can remember, other than like how Gomez and Morticia met. They mm-hmm. never explain a lot of the backstory of the Adams Family, except for the two-part episode, how they met, but they don't go into that much detail in like the into the back history of the Adams family. The one thing I do also have to give them is that yes, Morticia marries into the Adams family and she is a frump and her last name is actually mentioned as well. She is like any other person married into a new family and having to deal with her in-laws. There is a scene that I did like it when uh Grandma was trying to be a little bit too much in her business and Morticia was like, "Ugh." You know, like, I have to put up with this woman until she's dead. <laughs> I like that. I like the fact that Morticia, just because she does love Gomez and does love being an Adams, does not mean she has to love Gomez, all of Gomez's relatives, including his mother, her mother-in-law. And that was actually very good. Well, see, that's where I disagree with you, because part of the Adams family is that unconditional support. And no, just the idea that too. Gomez doesn't... Uh, think that Morticia has the capabilities to fully put on uh, the mazurka ceremony 
and calls and these other people, that to me, I think, is against what the Adams family originally feel like to me. They, that doesn't feel supportive. I think it feels supportive, but they needed to have like something for character dynamic to make people uh, relate to them as a family more. I mean, honestly, the, bol- no, the, the worst part of this entire movie is Pugsley's plotline. I hated that. I thought that slowed everything down. Every time we kept going back to Pugsley's like dance performance, that movie came to a complete and utter standstill. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's it had a lot of plot lines that uh, at openings for plots that I thought was kind of strange. Uh, on Pugsley's plot line, he has to dance the mazurka. Now, the mazurka is actually a real dance, so I don't know why they use that name because it has nothing to do with what was shown on screen. Uh, the mazurka is a Polish dance originally from the cultural re- region of Mazovia, and it's actually one of Poland's national dances. Um, it's a very fast dance with triple time, some turns, flourishes, some run hop steps, and heel taps. So it is a it is an, a known dance and not a saber dance like what Pugsley is trying to practice with. So I don't know why they just didn't go with ma, uh, the uh, uh, Mamushka from the uh, movies. Yeah, that was I thought fake. that was weird. I it thought was, maybe that was what they were going to be doing and they had to change the name for some reason. I don't really know, but I was a little bit like, uh, okay, sure. I guess we're calling it this. Uh, Pugsley's plot line basically is that he does this dance to prove that he can defend the family. And then his specialty is explosives. So his defending the family in a capable way has to do with explosives, which is kind of at the very end of the film, at the conclusion of Pugsley's plot line, is that his personal mazurka is with explosives because he can defend the family with them. Um, the idea that the Adams family needs to be so physically prepared for conflict that they can do this saber dance and pants everyone, not kill them, but pants them with the sabers as they're fleeing a situation, that to me is a concept which is a bit extreme. You know, it, it's, it almost sounds to me that um, them preparing for conflict all the time against, you know, non-Adams people is just feels a little off. I think they um, had to downplay a lot of stuff, this being a kid's cartoon. Maybe. One thing that I definitely noticed is that Gomez and Morticia did not have a romantic moment in the entire film once it got to present day. They had a marriage ceremony. He was kissing her hand, but it wasn't her hand. It was actually a fish. Um, and there was no more romance past that point. Huh. That kind of bothered me. What about all the voice actors? The voice actors were good. Um, I did not have any moment in time where I, I thought that was odd the way they pronounced that or said it. The animation tended to grow on me as I was watching the film. And uh, I flashed back and I had to review a couple of the Hanna-Barbera animated cartoons because it actually seems to me that the character design that they used 
was more based upon the Hanna-Barbera style. So it, there, there is some similarities there from taking the Hanna-Barberas and maybe making them into three dimensions and then stylizing them a bit, and there you go. That's what's on, on the screen. Uh, the, the big heads, the small wrists, you know, the almost like you're looking at the character through a circus mirror type of thing. Um, it, ten, it, it tended to grow on me. It, it stopped being uh, noticeable about halfway through the film and just kind of I allowed my, my brain to just melt over those stylizations. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I got used to it very, very quickly, and I was into the voice actors. I mean, you can definitely tell that that was Charlie Theron. Oh, definitely, um, definitely. The other one, uh, who was it? Uh, Poe Dameron from from Star Wars. Uh, Isaac. Um, my my mind is not. And that was definitely Alice and Janney. I mean, oh, you could. I mean, completely. I, the movie did well enough, apparently, and it's still making money to do a sequel, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, the one thing that I loved, absolutely loved, was at the very end of the film, they do a shot-by-shot recreation of the 1960s TV opening entrance with the new characters. They do. So that I loved. That helped bring this into maybe a, a television show with these, this stylization of characters. Um, if so, that would be great, because I do, I do want these characters to, you know, um, stick around, even if I'm a bit nitpicky on how they actually are related or how they're in our space of uh, pop culture. The things I did like was Fester does not live with the Adams Family. He actually lives on his own. That is more supported with Charles Adams's cartoons than him being a part of the in-house family. So I like that. I did like that uh, the Fester's teeth were all blacked out, so his mouth was basically a pit of black. I like that. That is actually more in tune with Charles Adams' drawings. Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't like the big heads and the way the features lay on the heads. Like Wednesday's head is much too big. The nooses around her braids are uh, unimportant, and they tried to make it a plot point, and it just did not work. Wednesday's plot line I thought was really good. I thought it was highly developed. I think that was, like, the main plot line. I think so. That w- that was. I mean, it was that was the main plot of the whole movie. It was Wednesday's, you know, making friends and wanting to branch out more and, and stuff like that. And, and Parker, her friend's mother, uh, is doing surveillance on the entire town that she built, and and she's uh, trying to sell off these condos. If this was live action, Parker's mother would have been murdered in a cartoony way. But because it's a cartoon or whatever, she just like automatically becomes a good guy and, and gets into business with Uncle Fester selling houses. Yeah, not not just in business. They start a relationship, which that's, that was very strange. Like, why would... Because this woman be attracted to Fester just because she, he's buying houses. Because she wants to make money, and uh, Fester has relatives that need homes, and automatically it's just it, it it just turns so suddenly. And I think there's a piece missing somewhere, but I yeah. I I mean, that, it that was just... it was so sudden. There needed to be something like a look. A smile, something to to see that this is going to happen. It is not. 
it is funny also that uh, they, uh, the house that they move into is alive. It's a former insane asylum, and Lurch came from the insane asylum. Yes, that was his former house. So Lurch has lived there longer than they have, and the spirit of the house does not want them in the house. I, I, I kind of had an issue with that as well. I think it should be a spirit they really liked having the family there. That's my opinion on that. Um, them non-consensually living inside the house. It's a house. It doesn't have rights. Yeah, but if the house, the spirit in the house is saying, get out, like all the time, uh, Again, you know. Again, it's a house. It doesn't have rights. It's a non-corporal form. I don't, I'm not looking that much into it. I know, but for me, there's a certain feeling that the atoms have, and going beyond, you know, the the levels of consent or I don't know viability in my mind of how they would be living in that place for so long. The, Wednesday and Pugsley have not seen another child in the 13 years that they've lived at that place. They have not seen anyone. They have not had contact with the outside world. Wednesday doesn't even know what a balloon is, and, and that to me is also very strange. So they know what a balloon. They don't know what a balloon is, but Morticia's read uh, Stephen King's It or seen the movie. Uh, yes, ha- something even. But I, they're saying they have no contact with anyone for 13 years. Because that balloon with the clouds is either killer clowns from outer space or it's it. I mean, there's not a lot of media where where the balloon is associated with the clowns because people don't creators of other cl- killer clown media don't want to just copy it. So it, it's very. It's only used. It, it was this was an it joke. Yeah, it was I, definitely I, I an it that. joke, and it was designed to be put into the trailer. That's what I believe because it has no place other in this world that they've set up. Also, why, if, did, why did they yeah. have? Uh, why was Snoop Dogg the voice of Cousin It? <laughs> Name recognition? Yeah, but he doesn't. He no, it doesn't matter at all because of its intonations. But he actually has a distinct voice. People recognize when they hear. Snoop Dogg. Why in the world would they have him play Cousin It? Well, maybe when it comes out on video, we will take the sound and then uh, turn it down really, really slowly so that we can un- actually understand what Snoop Dogg is saying. Maybe. I mean, Cousin It kind of sounded like the Minions, but that makes sense considering it's the same company. Yeah, yeah. And that, to me, I think is probably out of this entire thing. The, the downfall about it is that it was produced by the same company, so Fester kind of looks a little bit like Gru, and um, the characters look a little bit more with that quote-unquote pretty ugly type of characterizations. Also, um, Morticia wears a red dress. She's not completely always wearing black. That was a nice change-up. Yeah, I, do, I like that. Uh, I did not like the uh, all the spiders that... <laughs> Let's get uh, put from underneath her dress for just suddenly for no reason. Did we ever see what happened to the cameraman that got gobbled up by the house? No, he never makes an appearance. Okay, I was wondering. I didn't say until the end credits of the movie, so I was wondering is there an end credit scene of him escaping finally? Nope, I stayed through the end. No. Okay. Also, if you look at the poster, the poster does credit at the very bottom in the copyright the Charles Adams Foundation. I saw that. That was nice. Yeah, that means, again, the Charles Adams Foundation family, the, whoever it is, group of mm-hmm. people or somebody, his his living relatives uh, have control of the Adams family. Yes. 
yeah. Um, and they do charitable works as well. Definitely. Well, that's all the notes I have for the movie. It's hit or miss. Take it or leave it. I mean, it's another chapter in the Adams Family media that we haven't seen in quite a number of years, not since the uh, Broadway musical. So that that was pretty much the last Adams Family, but that wasn't on TV. So we haven't had Adams Family media since the uh, television the, the the television series was canceled. Uh, yeah, the this I I would give this out of a you know one to five stars I would give this a, a two. It, it's passable. It was aimed at a significantly younger audience. It has no complicated jokes. It has no complicated theor- uh, plot lines. Everything is super simple, like a baby can understand it. Um, so it, it's. Maybe the Adams Family for a new generation. I just hope that the art gets a little bit softer with those angles and that they go more into the direction of eccentric rather than um, uh, undead. You know, Fester turns his head completely around in in this show. So um, I don't want them to actually end up becoming undead. Well, he also gets <laughs> like shot through the head with an arrow. And multiple times shot, yeah. it It's... Uh, it's a thing. <laughs> a I just don't want Fester to actually be a living corpse, you know. There's also like the thing where he's climbing the um, to the roof and he makes a comment about the moon. I wonder if that's a nod to the musical. I hope so. Maybe. Also, um, Wednesday uh, bringing home a friend that's not normal again. It also is a nod to Wednesday bringing home the the uh, college quarterback, who is completely not the type of person that, you know, her parents would want her to be dating. True, true, from the musical, yeah. I guarantee if they do a sequel, they might age up the characters. They may not, you know, who knows? So we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens with the legacy of the Addams Family. So um, there's a lot of Addams Family merchandise out there, Funko Pops and stuff like that. Um, So no fast food tie-in other than than the Denny's, not Denny's. um, The IHOP, yeah. So. Well, that's all the notes I have here for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast. Uh, We'll be back for the final three episodes, and then we're going to take a quick break for a week and then start Clerks. Um, So the last episode, this episode's going to be airing kind of late, so it should be up today, tomorrow, uh, Sunday, Monday. But uh, the final three episodes will be up uh, before Halloween, and then we'll be taking a week off from any recording of any episode, and, and we'll start Clerks. So thank you for tuning in for our long coverage of the Adams family. It's been fun, and I hope all of you have had fun with me. If not, I'm just doing it for my own edification. You're doing it for your own ed- No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I enjoy doing it, so that makes it worth it. But, if uh, everyone enjoys listening to it, that's even better. Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's been fun. Uh, <coughs> It's just been an incredibly long show to get through. <laughs> agreed, agreed. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook at the Dead TV Podcast. You can also find us on t- Twitter at our individual Twitters at Christy SAV and at Elegantly Kinky. And you can send us an email at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week with the final three episodes of The Adams Family on the Dead TV Podcast. Bye.